On this episode of the Hustle of the Day podcast, I have Dylan Mitchell. Dylan is an electrical engineer by trade, but he is working on software solutions for architects to save massive amounts of time per project. You're going to want to listen to this one. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent, and I have Dylan Mitchell here today. And Dylan is the most highly anticipated guest on this show for me throughout this whole podcast because he's an awesome individual. We've been able to connect over the last few months. And you know what, Dylan, I want you to jump in here. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, thanks for having me on, Trent. For me, I like to define myself kind of in two ways. One, I'm a ultra endurance athlete and I'm a professional electrical engineer. Those might not go together and we'll dive into how they do, but that's the basics of me, professional electrical engineer and distance runner. Very cool. So, you know, you, you, you have this blog, you know, the distance to ultra, you know, talking about, uh, you know, your old, I mean, you talk about all sorts of things, but you know, you, you talk about some of your journeys to getting to that long distance running that you do. How does that relate to business? Yeah. So first let me define ultra. Ultra is anything over a marathon. So 26.2 miles is marathon and then ultra is anything past that. So the first real race distance is 50K, which is 31 miles roughly. Um, Ultra can be like a half Ironman's probably in there, but an Ironman for sure is in that ultra category when you look at triathlons. And for ultra... It's, it's a different place to be. Most ultras don't take place in a city. So roughly marathons, there's two to five million people, depending on the year. Obviously, <laughs> this year, there's not going to be as many runners doing marathons. But there's roughly, let's just call it three million people that do a city marathon of some sort around the world. When you look at ultra, there's 70,000 people that do ultra. And that spans from... 50k so 31 miles to 135 you know like bad water and there's a few other like multi-day stage races out there so the the numbers go down significantly once you cross that threshold and that same mentality can be applied to business there's six seven percent of the population that becomes a business owner now the pop percentage that becomes successful is far smaller than that. So it's kind of going into that ultra realm of, you know, a successful business owner is a very small percentage of the vast majority that own a business um, and then being successful on the side of that. So that's kind of the, you know, marathon runners, maybe a business owner, and then uh, ultra athletes, just a successful business owner. Yeah, I think you talk about, you know, being part of that 1%, you know, that that 1% of people that are successful business owners, which is, absolutely true and you know you have to have that endurance you have to be able to keep going in the face of all those odds to be able to get to that point and you know i think you put that very eloquently um i do have you know a family of runners but they've never gone more than a marathon um but i do have two neighbors that are a part of that 50k 100k you know trail running that they they do it for fun which to me is just 
absolutely insane. But <laughs> some people like think business is fun, and I'm I'm one of those. So maybe they can't relate to that. But uh, so you you have this drive, you have this determination. Who was it that you think has been most influential on who you've become today to give you that drive and determination? Yeah, there's a few ways that I can go about this, but I think the the best story that I can tell that's probably the most vivid in my mind. So I grew up on a farm. Uh, I grew up raising cattle. The herd had been in my family for a hundred years and that's what I did. I did 4-H, you know, I broke cows, halter break into shows, all that kind of stuff. And I was probably, I don't know, six, seven. So, you know, maybe weighed 80 pounds soaking wet and you're trying to halter break and, you know, train a, at this point, you know, even a yearling cow is six, 700 pounds. So, you, I mean, you don't stand a fighting chance, even when you're, you know, uh, I mean, like I'm 180 right now, like, you know, you still don't stand a chance against a six, 700, 1200 pound animal when they decide they want to do something. But as a kid, one of the things, you know, my mom taught me was just don't let go. Right. So in this pasture at the far end and, uh, cow decides it wants to make a run for the barn and all I can like hear, you know, and I can't hear my mom's, you know, field length away and it's, just you're not going to hear it right it's a football field away and you're just only thing you know is you know don't let go and hold on and that phrase through a lot of stuff was um really it's what what drove me to do a lot of things and in in college in a way like quitting my first job something just did not make me happy like it was hard to let go um so it's easier for me to hold on to something than to to let it go and it's that work ethic that drive that determination of being on a farm you know doing hard work and like i didn't start distance running till after college and you know like just you work hard you get through it you do what you have to do to get to the next step so there's i mean my parents are are definitely that for me in in many ways and just the how i grew up what we did and I saw it so much through 4-H and just growing up that hard work, showing up, doing what you say you're going to do, that matters more than most anything else. Most people aren't going to do what they say they're going to do. They're not going to show up. They're not going to show up on time if they do show up and they're just not going to pitch in. So it's always been in me to help, to do the right thing and kind of go from there. Yeah. And you know what? I think you've got, uh, you definitely embody that um, never letting go holding on aspect because you've got a fantastic product and we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit, but you've got a fantastic product that you just need to get in front of the right person and you will be in that 1%. Like, uh, so we're both members of the Arte syndicate and that's how we connected initially. Uh, but uh, we were on a group call the other week and it was, you know, somebody said, you know, he's like, he's just one email away from being in that 1%. Like that's, that's all it takes is just holding on till you get that right person, the right time. Uh, and so I think that's awesome that you're continuing to do this, that you're holding on, that you've got that work ethic. Um, but 
pulling it back a little bit from where you're at now, you were an engineer by trade. How was it that you decided to go out and start Calabunga Studios? Yeah, Calabunga Studios started uh, as an idea in 2014. And a bunch of the guys were, we were joking around. We were doing work on Oculus Rift. I was working in an architecture engineering firm. We were doing visualization that we kind of started ourselves within the group. And they came up with like the name Calabunga Studios. I went out and bought the domain like that at night and told the guys like, hey, here it is. <laughs> and that was kind of the, the impetus of it of, you know, hey, let's do something around this type of stuff. Around then, there's a lot of VR firms that, that came up. And I just, I saw the space is super crowded. And there's a lot of people. It's a very easy entry point to a uh, crowded industry. So I didn't, I didn't like it for a lot of reasons on that side. And the compute power to do visualization was, I saw it coming up and others were going to get in that game and be way better at it than I was. So it's really the idea for Calabunga Studios and doing something in software, but related to architecture and engineering started in like 2014. It wasn't until 2016 that I hired somebody to program and write all the initial software while I was still working. And just, I've, I've been in a number of firms for different opportunities. Basically, as soon as I got my engineering license, I took a job to be a department manager and stayed there for a couple of years. They didn't see the potential for growth moving forward. So I hopped to another firm to be really client facing. That was the big thing for me was to be in front of clients and deal with contracts and, you know, revenue and dollars. And as a department manager at the firm I was at, wasn't doing that. And the, the real reason for me leaving and going out on my own and really the the core of why I do what I do is in 2018, in uh, February, in January, February, my family um, goes on a trip kind of every other year. And I have since 2012 to Maui and really Hawaii in general. Um, and I was living in the Midwest, so it's like a good time to leave the snow and the cold to be in, in Hawaii. But a few days before that, so moved to another job, been there four or five months, um, six months. And here, January projects were trying to get out. They recently let somebody go who messed up a bunch of stuff and we had to go through and, and deal with or and really just not having that person there to, you know, close out a few projects. I was on vacation working from home when it wasn't a thing in 2018, working from my parents' house, trying to get these projects out, like working half days basically to, to do that. And the stress of these projects and how quickly they can move and to get through deadlines and make sure all the details are right before you push a project out. And we were pushing um, at this time, a few different projects. Construction value was uh, across everything, probably 40 million, 50 million. Um, across these projects. I mean, we worked on large. So one was probably 20 million, another um, few were five or 10 million for um, full construction value. So very stressful to get these things out. And two days before I'm supposed to go and be in Maui, sitting on the beach trip that I very much look forward to, I'm, I come down with this like rash and I was like, what, what is this? Itchy, don't like, thinking I'm, I don't know, having a heart attack or something because it's on my chest and 
on my back. And I was like, what the, you know, and going to the doctor middle of the day, just, I mean, it's on fire. I'm like, what do I do? Show it to the guy. He's like, yep, you've got shingles. I was like, oh, nice. Okay. Uh, what do we do for this? And, you know, like, is it contagious? Anything like that? He's like, no, not really, you know, unless you're sharing a bed with somebody or somebody that hasn't had chicken pox, then, you know, it becomes somewhat contagious, but basically no, take antivirals, take ibuprofen, Advil to antivirals to get rid of the shingles and then the other stuff to, you know, numb the, the pain. I mean, it's super itchy for anybody that's had shingles. It's stress triggered, which I didn't know until after. And so it can always come back at any point, but with it, it's super painful. Like you can't sleep and it's uh, hemispherical. So sometimes it's can be like all in your chest or all in your face is some people get it on their face and like half their face or all their face, but it's uh, front to back at times or a hemisphere. So it could be on the front of your face or like just a half of your head. For me, it was on my chest and my back. And that was like the worst experience that I've had. So that was a big catalyst at the time. I was like super stressed and all these jobs that I've had, nobody truly believes in where the industry is going. Sure, I'm ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, but sitting on the beach, you know, I can't have a beer, can't drink anything because you're on antivirals and that'll screw up the whole thing. So I'm just like, oh, you know, shit, what do you do when you're just, you're super stressed? I'm having this product worked on in the background, trying to get through to firms, companies to see this through. And my girlfriend at the time and I actually getting married uh, this weekend as of this recording. and she was in California. I'm in Indiana. I was just like, all right, I I'm done. Like we couldn't make, she's a geologist. So like her moving to Indiana wasn't going to work. It was a lot easier for me to move. And none of these companies like kind of worked out. So that was long story short. That was the big catalyst. I didn't necessarily fit in with companies. I did a great job, did a lot of work for a lot of companies. And I just wasn't satisfied with the way that they were heading and the ability to help people. So that's, Basically, my mission now is to save, ultimately, it'll be a billion plus hours a year in construction, but the the real goal is to reduce the time it takes to design and build anything from your house to your skyscrapers. Yeah, that's a big part of your story is that, you know, that trigger that shingles the, you know, the stress that you went through being a part of a, a, a job that just wasn't fulfilling you and you know what that's awesome that it led you to your path now because you have been um, a great resource for a lot of individuals for the fact that you're just willing to explore and experiment with your uh with calabunga studios and with your own personal brand of you know sending audio messages on LinkedIn, sending videos, they're customizable with your green screen and, you know, doing all these crazy things that you've kind of become an expert within Arate on those things. Like, how is it that you decided to start experimenting with those things? In life as well as business, most people have an opinion that they haven't tried. And my take on it, and this goes for food, it goes for exercise, it goes, you know, running up to your knees. There's a lot of, you know, BS out there that people believe but have never done. 
So whether it's voice messages, video, whatever it is, hey, I'll try it. And it's not like I'll send 10 and see what happens. Like I'll send a thousand and then let's see what happens. I sent probably 2,500 voice messages through LinkedIn. I've in the last two months hit, uh, let's see, eight weeks, 500 a week, 4,000 people across LinkedIn in straight up direct messages, you know, and the conversations out of those. Uh, I've sent a number of videos and like, don't think, and don't let a green screen or anything like that deter you from doing videos, like straight up selfie video. I've done it walking on a trail with my dogs to a guy that, you know, vacationed up to where I lived. It doesn't have to be anything special. I've done it in the car in the parking lot at outside a building. Like it really does not matter. I've done them in hotel lobbies, the videos themselves or the green screen or whatever, really where you do them, it doesn't matter. No one sends them. So for you to do a video of any sort and send it to somebody to say, thank you, is going to speak volumes. It could be, a, you know, if they have an iPhone, you can, you know, text them. It's very simple and straightforward in, in that manner on what you can do for just simple messages moving forward. But my biggest thing to anybody, and this goes for diet, for running, for exercise, for anything in business, a tactic, a strategy, you got to try it and you got to try it well, well enough to determine whether it works or not. I quit doing voice messages unless it's a follow-up to somebody that responded to voice messages because frankly, people did not, they might've opened them, but the response rate was lower than I got via like a straight up simple text message on LinkedIn. And I'm like, don't write a dissertation. Don't write the full, you know, four paragraph thing that that doesn't work, but a simple question upfront to open a conversation works extremely well on LinkedIn or really anything else. So my, my take on this and for video or for anything else is you have to try it to make a true opinion for yourself versus what you see on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the great thing is you've, you've not only tried it, you've got all the data dialed down of, okay, these are, you know, my reply rates. These are, you know, the open rates and all these, all this information that a lot of us, you know, myself included, it's like, Oh, they opened it. Cool. Um, maybe I'll try that next time. You know, it's not over several thousand, you know, down to the percentage, but um, you've given some great tips to a lot of people that I know uh, based on that data that you've done. You, you give so much to other individuals, other entrepreneurs, um, and you, myself included, again, you know, we've had hour-long phone call just talking through some of the stumbling blocks I'm having with business, which has been awesome. Why is it, first of all, that you're giving so much of your time to these other entrepreneurs and, you know, is there a long-term payoff for that or are you just that selfless? <laughs> yeah, it's funny that giving some time is, quote, selfless. And in a world where you know, to, to say something or spend time or to say something nice seems difficult. I, I really don't have a problem with that. And in a lot of ways, like I, you know, with current issues and all that stuff, I really haven't talked out about it. Like I'm not just not in a position to, to speak. I've said my two cents and left it at that. I'm not trying to cause ripples and I'm trying to help people as much as I can. And now like, 
I don't have that big of a platform, but what I do have is time and I have the ability to, Hey, this is what I've tried. You know, I'm maybe a little ahead here than you. And let me, let me help in whatever way that I can, or just lend a ear to help work through whatever situation you're going through. And to me, that, that time and nicey is paid off. And a lot of it, I work through my own problems in helping others. But at the same time, don't waste my time. You know, if, if I have calls with somebody and, you know, hey, we're, I'll basically help you for free and you don't do anything with it, you don't take any action, I really don't have time for that. I want to surround myself with people that are doing something, that are trying. Like, I don't care if it worked or not. Did you do it? Yes or no? It's a really simple answer. And for those that don't do anything, I don't want to, I just can't spend my time with them. Um, so that's, it. and to the point of like payoff or not, like I work through my own issues. I get some different ideas from people in different industries. And like, I am <clears throat> better than probably most at setting with, so with basically all my groomsmen, I have like a recurring one weekly or biweekly call with them. Um, for an hour or two and, you know, some other guys, I just, we talk for three hours whenever we get on the phone, um, usually like once a month. So like I'm good at, and then with just other friends, like I have weekly recurring calls. So the people that I want in my life, I will schedule time to make it happen. And, you know, usually I go on walks with my dogs during a lot of those calls and it's just how it goes. So the, the time and the payoff and being known in Arte for that is is very cool. And how that comes around is your your brand, your name, your recognition is built over a lifetime, but it is ruined in a second. Like that, that will end you if you do the wrong thing. We've seen entrepreneurs being ended by COVID and or other things with all the racial stuff that is going on in the, the country right now. And you can either make yourself or break yourself in those moments. And it doesn't take much. It takes one really wrong action to end you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Your reputation had preceded you when I first uh, joined Arte because, you know, I saw, you know, I started networking with people within Arte and, Instantly, it was like, oh, yeah, I had this great experience with Dylan Mitchell. I had this great experience with Dylan. Oh, I had this great experience with Dylan. If you need somebody to go to, go to Dylan. You know? And so that's been uh, awesome to see that you're building your reputation and you know, you've, like you said, it could be ruined in an instant by really any number of things, but you've been consistently uh, helping people in whatever their problems might be, it's, you have an endless knowledge base of, um, you know, all the books that you read. And so I, I just want to say, I appreciate all that you're providing to the entrepreneurship community and, uh, to, you know, society as a whole for the fact that you're, you're living what you preach and you are sharing what you know, um, and not just holding it close to your chest and saying, you know what, this is working really well. I better keep this for myself. I want to get, since it is the hustle of the day podcast, I do want to get your personal definition of the word hustle. 
hustle means to not quit. You know, most people, and hustle also means productive. So whatever you're doing, is it productive? For some, all right, so like I'll go through my list for like just today. So it doesn't have to be a lot of things. Um, and I have a fairly consistent list. Like if it's not on my list, I don't do it. It's just how it works. So there's a lot of stuff that just stays perpetually on the list, but you know, write a blog, do an Instagram story, uh, edit and review my vows. That's, uh, you know, that's coming up here. Mm -hmm. Uh, LinkedIn outreach. And for me, that's 50 plus people, um, review Facebook ads, gratitude exercise, record a podcast, which I did my own podcast and then to be on this one, um, 30 minutes of programming to, through my software and then to write a speech and an article today. So, and everything is basically done. I got some programming and a speech and article left to do and it's one o'clock. Like, you know, plus I've done a workout, I've read, visualized, drank half a gallon of water, you know, like the, in half a day basically. So the, like, show me what you actually do and I'll tell you if you're hustling or not. Yeah, absolutely. I, I talked to uh, somebody yesterday that, you know, they, they talked about their task list as well of, you know what, it's easy to fill it with, with tasks that, you know, don't further the goal that don't get you to where you want to go. It's easy to put tasks down and check them off, but does it really help you get to where you want to be? And so it sounds like what you're doing is helping you self-improvement as well as getting you towards that goal of getting to the right client to show what your products can do. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your products. You've got surfboard and boogie board and uh, for the people that aren't familiar with Revit, can you tell us first of all what Revit is and how you help uh, help uh, further the workflow in Revit? Yeah. So I'm within the architecture and engineering space. So we're doing commercial buildings by and large. That's, I mean, I commercial can span a range of square footages, but like for, for the projects that I talk about, it's schools, offices, hospitals, office towers, multifamily apartment complexes. So 200 unit deals, maybe a hundred unit on a small side. Like we're talking, you know, big projects, 20, 20,000, maybe 40,000 square feet. like a bottom end tier of what like my solution can really help people with. Not that it can't on a smaller scale. It's just not going to provide like a cost benefit um, ratio for that. Some of my smaller products, but my flagship product, no. Um, so when you look at those buildings and really the architecture and engineering industry, it is a very old industry. So hand drawings, which some of you might have done in high school or drafting class, it did not, it was still that way in 1999, 2001, even, uh, there was still a lot of blueprints that were done by hand, frankly. I mean, it was just, uh, AutoCAD had been invented. It was kind of brought up through the nineties, but really most firms started adopting it early two thousands. AutoCAD is basically taking that same two-dimensional no data line and putting it in a computer from a hand to computer and you have all these layers. So it makes things easier to transmit 
kind of back and forth between architect architectural floor plan, which is how you look at apartments or, or your house. Um, and then to put all the other systems on it. So that's architecture is the floor plan and then all the other systems. So mechanical, electrical, plumbing, structural, everything else that goes into that building furniture and Revit came along really in the 2007, eight Autodesk bought it in like 2012 and in 14, 13, 14, it became a viable product for the engineering side of um, architecture and engineering. So we're known as MEP engineers. So it's really only been around, let's say six, seven years. Some people might've been using it longer or before that, but the stalwart is probably, you know, five to seven years for most firms. Revit takes those two dimensional drawings. And when you, let's say you draw a wall, you now draw a wall that has a width, a height, and all like the insulation values within that wall. You can put paint on that wall. You can put a cost value to that wall. So for every element within the, the Revit model, and that's what you're doing is building a three-dimensional model, you can now extract data from it. You put a ton of data into it. You can draw like you would normally in a fraction of the time. So what's happened for construction is it's gotten increasingly more complex. So these very, like uh, Amazon's building those domes for their headquarters in Seattle. There's some other weird domes going up in Vegas. Um, just very increasingly complex projects with increasingly hard geometries. And with a lot of that or increasingly small ceiling space where all the ducts and pipe and all the stuff that most people don't ever see is hidden. And with that, what Revit allows people to do is have a coordination meeting. So how coordination used to happen in buildings is they'd take all the plans, lay them over each other and put a light box under them to see if anything hit. And then, you know, they draw sections and they had to redraw that section independently of the floor plan, where if you draw a pipe, no matter where you cut within the building, you're going to see that same pipe if it's in that section, in that view. And this allows people to coordinate before anything is ever built to understand where they're going to have problems, where areas are going to be tight and where they need to, you know, put conduit or ductwork or sprinkler pipe or any of that other stuff that's hidden and behind the walls to make it all work and happen the way it needs to in the way that it was envisioned by the architects and the design team and the engineers. So that's Revit in a nutshell is a three-dimensional database for building is really how it works and it allows all disciplines to coordinate together. Very cool. And then how does, how does your products integrate with that? Yeah, so ours is an add-in, so it's a direct add-in to Revit. So we pull all the architectural information out of that model, the room names, the width, height, volume, all that kind of good stuff out of the model. So architects start the project, you know, they plan it, they lay it out, they say where rooms go, all that great stuff. So what allows what our software allows is the electrical team and we'll eventually build all the mechanical and plumbing and all the other disciplines out too. But right now, since I'm an electrical engineer and that's what we started with, it allows the electrical team to within a few parameters, a few button clicks to place devices throughout the entire Revit model. So if ceilings, walls, doors, basically an architectural layout is done and in, then we can do lighting layouts, 
receptacle or outlet layouts, lighting controls, so switches, occupancy sensors, um, panels. We can put in smoke detectors, fire alarm devices throughout that building. And for a 40,000 square foot building, I can, with, so my speed, let's, and even walking through with a, in a demo setting, I can do that in say half an hour. And that same design would typically take really a hundred hours to figure out between calculations and device placement and all that other um, type of stuff to, to really lay out that building. But even to just say it's half, say it took them a week and I can do it. And with, let's just say with cleanup and adjusting a few things here and there, say it's four hours. So, I mean, we're reducing it 90% of the time it would take somebody to, to go through that. And then you start looking at hourly rates for that, you know, engineering hourly rates depending on your firm and where you are, but let's just say they're, you know, 150 bucks and I, you know, just saved you even 50 hours, you know, it's 7,500 bucks on a, on a project. Yeah. When you first explained this to me, when we, you know, uh, talked about your products prior to this, it was like, wow, that is just mind blowing to me that how much time you're saving, how much energy you're saving, how much money you're saving by offering this product. And that is, I mean, obviously going from the electrical background, that's just one aspect of it. Like you're saving that much time and effort just in the electrical side. It's, it's mind blowing is what it is. Um, so that's where you have been spending a lot of your time, you know, with your outreach and through LinkedIn, trying to get in front of the right people and that's kind of also led to a, an offshoot of that. And you now have the Construction Corner podcast. Um, has that helped you network with those with some of those individuals? Yeah, I haven't. So it, yes and no. In some ways, yes. You know, they're probably listening in the background, right? Since you don't get who's listening to your podcast, you just get counts for for who's um, how many you're listening. And in that, it's just, again, it's another brand awareness piece. If they want to tune in, if they want to find out more, then I'm there. The construction industry just as a whole and really engineering and architecture in particular, nobody likes to share. Um, they all want to find out information, but they think if they share with a competitor, it's going to hurt them, which in some cases it might. Um, but I don't have that bias or, uh, you know, I'm not afraid of losing my job for, for talking. So it allows me to have good conversations, to outreach about the industry. And yeah, I mean, I've had different industry guests on and talking about different aspects of construction. And it's just another avenue for me to share my thoughts on where the industry is going, what's happening, and you know, give some people exposure that might not uh, get it. And on other sides, just have good conversations. You know, I've had... Uh, people from Arte on talking about leadership and HR because that you know, no matter what industry you're in, right? <clears throat> that's still a big big deal. Construction is no different. We probably have more turnover than most industries. So you know, having having somebody like Ann on and Laguza um, on the podcast, you know, it's not always straight construction, but it's always things to help people within the construction industry. Yeah, absolutely true. Like you mentioned with uh, Ann, I mean she's involved in human resources and leadership. And like you said, that's everywhere. I mean, the, uh, 
no matter what industry you're in, that's, that's needed. So that's, that's cool that you brought that, um, that, that perspective to the construction industry through your podcast. Um, so you go out on your own, you've got this fantastic product, this fantastic, uh, background, you're lowering your stress levels. What was a challenge that came out of this that you never expected to happen? Yeah. So one of the, <laughs> the things that I think most entrepreneurs deal with right out the gate is, you know, you do entrepreneur math, right? So it's, Hey, a thousand people are going to buy this or I get 2% of the industry and that, you know, I'm going to sell however many of these at X dollars and all right, I'm going to be a millionaire, but you know, in two months, well, turns out that's, that's not how it works. Um, Cash flow is probably the one of the hardest things that any entrepreneur has or business owners had to deal with. And I mean, that's another thing my product can solve is instead of taking three to six months to do work, it'll take say a week, you bill for it in month one, get paid. Well, however quickly your clients pay, let's just say 90 days in construction, which is forever. Um, for most of you that aren't in that world, government contracts are at 90 days. Um, that's when they send the check. So it'll be like, you know, a hundred by the time you get it. Uh, but cash flow is probably one of the hardest things to deal with. And as an entrepreneur, you're always optimistic that you can sell the next thing or get out and, you know, they're just going to love it because you love it. And that is not the case. And what I would say to most entrepreneurs, and this is myself included, you know, when you did have like, I did some nice projects and got paid very well for them that you immediately spend that money into uh, future investments. And not to say that you don't invest in the future, but don't do everything that you th want to do when you want to do it. You need to hold off and uh, save cash. And I think we're seeing all the businesses that, you know, they've been in business for however long, five, 10, 20 years. And after two weeks with COVID, they had to close their doors. Like to me, you know, now doing two, three months of that, that becomes a different ball game of, you know, uh, no cash. But the, the biggest thing I, you know, save, save more than you think you should hold more in reserve. Don't play on the razor's edge. Cause one bad thing that you have no control over will kick you out of the game or put you in a place that you really don't want to be. So that that's probably been my biggest struggle is working cash flow and you want to do all this stuff, but you really shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're speaking directly to me right now because I I've been contemplating purchasing something that will increase, you know, um, output of what I'm working on on the computer by like 10%. You know, it's, is it really going to make that big of a difference for the cost over time? You can justify it, but at the same time, it's like, is that the best use of my, of my resources right now? So thank you for talking me off a ledge there <laughs> before I make that mistake with this whole COVID-19 pandemic that we've been having go on right now. How do you think that's going to change the industry, the construction industry in general in the future? There's a few things that have come out of it and it really, so, uh, and this goes to most industries, but there's three main pieces. I actually have a podcast that comes out in a couple of weeks on this. Um, but one of the, the three, so the three main ones are where people are going to work. So commercial offices are going to get, uh, changed either basically 
at minimum how they're laid out, how they're designed, and at most they're going to shrink floor space. So then that goes to what goes in those commercial office buildings. You know, if it's a tower in downtown, I think they're going to redo them into condos um, and housing. But then on the other side of that, you got to look at housing. If the people don't need to go to an office and they're going to work flex time, you know, two, three days a week in or out of the office or forward one or come in once a month, depending on who you are and how you work and how productive you've been during this time, you're going to see just a big shift and it's going to be over the next 18 to 24 months. It's not going to be anything in the near future. They still have leases. They still got to pay rent, all that kind of stuff. And they got to, you got to see whether they're going to everyone come back into the office or going to go remote. So if people, you know, don't actually lose their job, but I think there's going to be a lot of companies that are going to stay remote to a certain extent. And with that, you're going to have a mass exodus out of uh, large cities. Um, and again, it's going to be over the next 18 to 24 months to where people are, you know, if they have a family of any sort, they're probably like, okay, if anything goes wrong in any of these cities, whether it's from riots to COVID to just, something else happens that we don't know about. They're like, okay, I'm in a three-dimensional box and then, you know, 20 stories up. There's literally nothing I can do. I can't go anywhere. People are going to yell at me on the streets for going outside. I can't open my windows because, you know, we can't have that. So I'm breathing recycled air. It's like I'm living on a spaceship effectively. And I think a lot of people are going to leave downtown cities. So I'm thinking New York, Boston, uh, Chicago, downtown LA to a certain extent, San Francisco, Seattle, and they're going to move out to the suburbs. They're going to move to places where they can move. They can be free in a way um, and have the ability to, to move around. So, and then that'll change a lot of things on how construction goes, right? Cause with people comes, either going to close schools. If you don't have a lot of people or you open new ones, um, roads are going to expand. Internet's going to be improved to residential neighborhoods with more people working from home. And then the other side of that is, you know, if you're working from home now and you're in, you know, your one bedroom apartment, you're like, well, I uh, sure would like a, another bedroom or office. So instead of working at my kitchen table all day, <laughs> so, you know, will people buy a, a bigger home, right? An extra bedroom, you know, if they're in a two, maybe they go to a three or four to have that um, extra bedroom or really an office since they are working from home now. So that those are the big trends that I see on where infrastructure is going to go, but particularly in construction, there's going to be more digital uh, needs, more digital necessity. You can see a lot of zero touch stuff coming into play in construction. There's a lot of digitization of blueprints that's happening. It used to be and even heck five years ago, three years ago, you'd still see massive rolls of drawings on projects and that's going more and more and more digital to where they're, you know, we're updating sets constantly. They do coordination, they release new sets and update them, which it's a great thing. People have more access to it. They can do it on their iPhones or tablets and be very productive in the field. The, the big one for, um, the industry as a whole is going to be where a lot of this gets hung up is in contracts. The construction industry is very heavy on contracts. They're very long contracts. They're very uh, litigious as a whole in construction. Just if anything goes wrong, there's a lot of finger pointing because nobody owns the job. So design builds is going to be more prevalent. I think moving forward and where somebody kind of back, a hundred years ago, we, you had a master builder, right? Somebody that was fully in charge of the project and they owned it start to finish. 
there's going to be more and more of that um, design build type project where somebody owns it, they own the design, they own all the subs, they're fully in charge of everything they own, the contract, one contract for the owner versus what we have primarily today is uh, the architect and engineer has one contract with the owner and then the uh, construction team has a contract with the owner. So there's going to be, I believe, moving forward, a, a mingling of contracts and then we're going to build off of not so everything is so construction documents or contract documents is the final deliverable. It's a, still a PDF document um, as well as, you know, 2000 pages of specifications uh, from all disciplines, probably more than that. Um, they're big, big binders. Uh, <laughs> like you can fill probably four, three inch binders with a full set of specs for a job. Um, that's a small job. Yeah. So, there's the model is going to be the one source of truth and everyone's going to bid out of it. Everyone's going to build off of it. And that's really how it's going to be. It's going to be a big change for uh, architects and engineers. And then it's going to be a change uh, on the construction side, but the contracts have to mimic that. So architects and engineers don't uh, coordinate anything. I mean, they coordinate, but to a point and then they throw a lot of it over the fence, just they don't have the time and they're not getting paid for it to do that work. So the contractors add it in their jobs and they hire all the people to do the, the coordination. And it's historically been on them anyway, but um, you're going to see more and more where it's a probably going back to the architect and engineer, but they've got their fees have to go up to make that happen. You've thought very deeply about this. Cause I mean, there, there are a lot of ripple effects because you know, just not only from, you know, one person taking on the entire construction project and, you know, being the master builder, like you said, uh, but, you know, like you said, going way out to the suburbs and expanding homes and um, expanding infrastructure, there's going to be major ripple effects that went beyond what I was thinking of, uh, you know, so that's, that's crazy to think of, but it absolutely is, is trending that way. Um, and knowing your experience, I, I didn't realize they were moving towards, you know, potentially having one person under, uh, having everyone under them because yeah, right now in my very limited experience with construction where I do, you know, some house remodels, it's one sub doing this contract with this sub contract with this sub. It's, it's daunting. You have to have somebody who's always on top of it, always on top of everyone. And again, finger pointing, <laughs> I can, I can go. I, I, that just drives me crazy because that, that happens a lot throughout the industry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy to see what, what is changing in our world, but it sounds like you're on top of it. And it sounds like your product could stand to benefit from it because if, one person controls that contract, they're going to want to maximize their costs. And if they're talking to Dylan Mitchell, they're going to be like, this is the, this is the guy to save us the time and money. Uh, but I want to be respectful of your time. Like you mentioned, you've got a wedding coming up. Uh, congratulations to you on that. Uh, but I want to just ask you one last question and then I'll give you a chance to plug, you know, where, where people can find you, but what is it? that excites you about the future? Man, there's a lot that excites me about the future. In construction, there's so much really cool stuff that's happening. A lot of robotics, which ultimately we'll get into, that's coming to construction. And what you see in like 3D printed concrete houses, 
while that's cool to watch on a video in a warehouse, it's not reality. There's you, if you want that, then, uh, living in a place without electricity, that's totally fine. If you want any sort of electricity or running water within your building, 3d printed concrete, it's not going to work. But, uh, so there's a lot of cool technologies, a lot of stuff that's being proven now and how that's going to play out in the industry. Well, in construction and then how we live, you know, from the triple pane windows that we have to keep our houses cooler, warmer, you know, in the different seasons to, you know, the cook's top stoves that we have, right. It's a lot of innovations in a lot of areas that are making our lives simpler and easier, right? Like 50, 60 years ago, most of us never knew life without a washing machine, but you know, like that was a reality in the forties. So there's, there's always a lot of maybe incremental change in a lot of ways, but that can have profound effects on how people work, how they operate, where they live, what they do. And I'm excited for that future. It's here in some places, um, but the future is not evenly distributed. So it'll take a while from for the mainstream to to catch up and for all areas to to do that. Construction is very different in San Francisco than it is in, you know, Utah than it is in the Midwest. And, you know, New York and Boston's, you know, very different. Chicago has their own issues when it comes to construction. So there's a lot of really good innovation, a lot of really innovative ways that people are building. Just not everyone is there yet and not everyone's seeing it. But as, you know, it becomes an industry, quote, standard, then we'll see a, a, a big jump in, in productivity. Just got to get everybody on the same page to be able to move forward. And that, that comes in a lot of ways, but codes really drive a lot of that. And we're, we're going to see that moving forward. Very cool. Well, where's the best place to, for people to get in contact with you and to find out more about you? Yeah. Thank you for having me on, Trent. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed talking about a lot of this stuff. And there's two good places to find me. You can find me on Instagram at Dylan A. Mitchell, D-I-L-L-O-N-A Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. And that's all my personal stuff. So running and I'll share a bunch of Cowbunga Studio stuff there as well, blog, um, whatnot you can you can find there and then cowbungastudios.com and you can find us on facebook instagram linkedin and me i'm on linkedin too dylan a mitchell uh, pe and cowbunga studios is spelled k-o-w-a-b-u-n-g-a-s-t-u-d-i-o-s so cowbunga studios or dylan a mitchell on uh, just about anywhere cool and i'll make sure to include links in the show description um for the for some of those but I want to say thank you. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you, you've got a lot going on and you're, you're working hard, uh, whether it's learning new code or, you know, training for the next ultra marathon. But uh, thank you, Dylan. And I know I've gotten value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day. Thanks for listening to the Hustle the Day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.